And it's amazing. Those people who are touching and feeling the clubs tend to be the ones who come up with that next iteration of what we could do to improve it and why it's so important to be manufacturing things here locally because those improvements, both in the technology of the product itself and in how we make it, then happen here where the people have their hands on the clubs. This is the Women of American Manufacturing podcast, where we highlight female leaders and influencers who are revolutionizing the industry. In every episode, we explore each guest's journey into manufacturing, their vision for the future of American manufacturing, and the innovation, creativity, and communication that they bring to the industry. Thanks for being here. Let's get started. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of the Women of American Manufacturing podcast. Happy to have you here. I'm your host, Lindsay Athanasiu. I have with me a really cool guest today. I'm really excited to introduce her, share her story. We're just going to get started. So Dawn, if you wouldn't mind, could you introduce yourself? Hello, Lindsay. I'm so happy to be with you today. Thank you for inviting me. I'm Dawn Grove, Corporate Counsel for Karst Manufacturing Corporation. We're the parent company of Ping, a top global golf equipment brand, and we engineer and build custom fit golf clubs in Phoenix, Arizona for export to nearly 100 countries around the world. Uh, KMC also has a small state-of-the-art foundry where we can cast not only golf clubs, but also other precision metal castings for the aerospace, mining, railroad, and other industries. And I've worked as an in-house attorney here for 23 years. Uh, before that, I worked at Brian Cave and other law firms for about seven years. And that gave me a great foundation for the types of issues manufacturers face. So cool. I'm hoping that the majority of, of our listeners to this episode recognize the name Ping immediately. I think it's pretty much a household name at this point, particularly for anyone who golfs or has a golfer in their their close circle. So um, Dawn, like she mentioned, she is a corporate counsel at Ping and has some cool family ties. Anyone who's listened to the episodes before knows that I love to begin each episode by having the guests talk about their path to where they are today, their path to manufacturing. So Dawn, could you tell us a little bit about the family history that brought you to where you are right now? Sure. Ping is a family business, but I didn't initially see myself in manufacturing at all. I knew I wanted to become an attorney from the time I was 16 years old. I loved being able to advocate for people and help solve their problems. And I remember when I first told my grandparents I was going to law school someday, they shook their heads and told me, that's too bad. The company doesn't need a lawyer. They encouraged me to study engineering, and sadly, I knew I had not inherited the engineering brilliance gene that so many others in my family have, but I ended up receiving a full ride to Pepperdine Law School that covered all three years and even all my books. I'll be forever thankful to Pepperdine for that, and my family came around to being okay with it. So while I was in law school, the company happened to go through some significant litigation and asked me to come in-house, but I really wanted to learn some real-world experience to bring to the table first. Um, So I joined a law firm, and they just happened to assign me to represent manufacturers. And truly, Lindsay, I just fell in love with these amazingly resilient people who overcame all sorts of federal, state, and city red tape to build factories and make products that help the world despite dealing with all sorts of roadblocks and frivolous lawsuits. And I really just grew in my respect for what my grandparents, my dad, and my uncles had achieved. And when I moved back to Arizona a few years later, I started helping my family pro bono and eventually came in-house. And now I've been here for 23 years. Amazing. That is... um so cool that you know you were given the chance to really pursue what you loved you no one forced you in but you still found your way back and 23 years I'm guessing that you're pretty happy there I truly am and so many people here stay and don't leave so uh, I'm technically one of the newer people at 23 years really wow we have many many who've been with us 25 30 35 40 years it's fantastic we have very little turnover and even during times you know 10 15 years ago when there was a whole lot of turnover in businesses generally we just didn't go through that we bring people here and they they tend to be happy and stay myself included that's really cool to hear do you know the average tenure of the ping employees 
I believe it's 13 years, 13 point something wow. years. Yes. I'll have to double check that, but I believe that's what it is. Yeah. Yeah. Quarter of our workforce has been with us 20 years or more and about half 10 years or more. Very cool statistics. I definitely want to get into the whole workforce conversation uh, and, you know, the ping specific culture conversation eventually, but not before we we go a little deeper on um, your family story. So I don't think you mentioned that the the founder of ping is your grandfather. And I want to just highlight the fact that, that he himself was an amazing engineer and did some really cool things before starting ping. So true. He really did. He had developed the tricycle landing gear for airplanes during World War II to try and help the airplanes be able to land on aircraft carriers in the middle of the ocean during that war effort and later developed the rabbit ears antenna on televisions to get a clear signal. And he determined that the next thing he invented after that he would patent and make himself and that just happened to be the perimeter weighted ping putter so contributed to so much that you know has helped evolve us as a society today and i'm certain certain it contributed to the outcomes of world war ii so what a what a pivot he made <laughs> he really did he he was such an innovator and always looking for what problem he could solve and he would walk around my house and, and open and close drawers and drapes. And if he couldn't find anything to, to fix, he would sit down and take a nap. I mean, he was just so precious. So when he couldn't be useful, it was rest time. <laughs> yes, he was all about being useful to people and, and doing things to solve their problems. And I, I just loved and respected that about him. Yeah, what a cool guy. That's amazing. And he he truly revolutionized the golf industry as I look at not just the, the putter and, and how that operated, but his designs for irons were, were brand new. And then his investment casting of clubs was something that hadn't typically been done in the golf industry because it's so expensive to do, but you can truly get the quality and the jewelry-like character by doing that. And with all those things, he truly did revolutionize the golf industry. So I have to, I have to ask, are you a golfer? I do love the game. I do love the game. I'm not that great. I'm a, a high handicapper. And most of the people in the company golf better than I do. But I have decided that because I love the game so much, I'm not going to let that get in my way. I'm going to get out there and have fun. And it's been a true joy. I, I myself am not a golfer, but I imagine that anyone listening to this who is, is just delighted to hear the passion <laughs> from from the granddaughter of someone <laughs> whose products I'm sure they, they buy or have, have used in the past. An another thing you said really struck me that I'd love to dig a little deeper into. You said, you know, prior to joining the family business, mm -hmm. you were at a firm in L.A. where you were practicing law and they appointed you to um, defend manufacturers. And it was there that you really learned so much about the obstacles that they have to overcome and you were really in awe of it. What might be some of those examples of, you know, cases that you you represented or clients you represented that overcame amazing obstacles and just really changed your perception of the manufacturing industry as a result? Sure. I saw in particular glass manufacturers who are making this great product that is truly environmentally recyclable endlessly, that is pure and clean. Things from glass bottles don't retain contaminants like plastics or others do. And yet glass breaks and people would sue the glass manufacturers because the glass broke. Um, you know, things like that, where you see that they're providing a great, excellent product that maybe just by definition of what it is has some limitations, and yet people want to sue them over the craziest things. Or uh, another example is the environmental litigation that a lot of clients had to go through in California in particular, where with joint and several liability, they would be on the hook, even if they spilled some tiny amount accidentally of some less than desirable chemical, they would be on the hook for the whole cleanup, even for those companies that had been irresponsible and unclean and had dumped a lot of things. 
the EPA would go after them all evenly, but they wouldn't talk with the smaller ones because they said it was too de minimis to even enter into settlement negotiations. So they would be dragged into this litigation for years on end. And that's one of the things that really struck me as being an amazing difference in Arizona. I saw in Arizona, the business community, the environmentalists, the uh, government all got together, listened to each other, and found a way to truly direct the money toward the cleanup and not have joint and several liability weighing down the efforts where people were just being bankrupted, like was happening in California. So that was one of the things that really impressed me about Arizona, and I saw the difference here and what a privilege it is to be able to manufacture here now. No hate to California, right? <laughs> no, no, I love California. <laughs> yeah. Beautiful, wonderful place. Uh, I just I feel for the businesses yeah. that have to deal with that that overregulation and overtaxation mm -hmm. there, and we're seeing droves of them move to Arizona. Let's let's grab that and run with it. You're doing so much for workforce development in Arizona. You're on many councils, many many working groups, and you've been honored for that work. Tell us a little bit more about that. You know, there's obviously a difference in how manufacturing is is handled in that state versus California, like you mentioned. And what have those opportunities been that you've taken advantage of? Uh, our governor did appoint me to chair our Workforce Arizona Council, which is our state's workforce development board. And that's just been a terrific opportunity to make sure that the workforce development training programs we are doing are giving people the skills needed for the local jobs that are here. So local employers can find people that have the skills to start on day one and be ready to bring that, that manufacturing company or whatever it is forward. I don't know if you know, right now, Arizona leads the nation in homeownership growth, in personal income growth, in population inbound growth. It's been really amazing to see what happens when a state truly targets and wants to be attractive to manufacturing. When the manufacturers come here, all the suppliers want to locate around them. I saw recently that a New York investment company had invested $65 million in land surrounding a recent manufacturing recruit because they know that the suppliers will come there. Oh, wow. That's huge. It really is. It's amazing to see. And I just love that, that Arizona recognized that truly as a, a state and even the cities. Uh, the city of Phoenix recently, a few years ago, awarded Ping its Exporter of the Year award. You know, not many cities all know to celebrate manufacturers and recognize that when the manufacturers do well, that brings in tax revenues because of the high wages and because of the exporting of products. It brings in high tax revenues that support our, our public schools and our safety systems. And it's just a win-win for the community when manufacturers thrive. Yeah. And you've been involved in that work for about how long, would you say? I think it's been five years now that I've been chairing that. And then I also chair our Arizona Chamber of Commerce and Industry, which is just a fantastic group of wider business community, including manufacturers across Arizona. And I am so privileged to be with such a wonderful team of people who are trying to do things in, in ways that improve Arizona, that provide jobs for people, that are clean. They're, they're just a joy to work with. So what are some of the initiatives that you kicked off in the new year? Yes, we have 15 different policy committees. And so there's something for, for each area, uh, you know, one for insurance, one for water resources, environment, um, manufacturing related issues, uh, technology. There's all sorts of different uh, policy groups and they can go through and and bring their voices of their business to it and say, here's, here's what's needed. And then we come together and, and put a, a, a business agenda together that we can say, here is what the business community wants and needs. And one of those um, examples is a qualified facilities uh, tax credit that recently did go through our legislature and passed by our governor. So uh, these things are happening, and it's very nice. And then with the Workforce Arizona Council, we have a number of different 
initiatives that we've done, for example, a roadmap to veteran employment, making sure that our veterans who are leaving military service are finding great civilian careers. We have an Arizona Advanced Technologies Corridor where we've put the curriculum for manufacturing as one unified curriculum across several different community colleges. And we're expanding that statewide because it's been so successful. And then that can even feed into the universities with manufacturing related careers. That's been fantastic. And I'll tell you about one other, it's the Arizona Career Readiness Credential because so many manufacturers and others are just looking for people who can show up on time, work in a team, uh, communicate collaboratively, you know, have all those what some call soft skills, I would call them essential skills. And this Arizona Career Readiness Credential just assures that that people have been trained in those soft essential skills and know how to work uh, in a company. I, I feel like you should trademark that. I love that distinction between soft versus essential skills. <laughs> Thank you. So, Don, you obviously bring great passion to all of this work outside of paying that you're doing that I'm sure is benefiting, you know, the business, but it's making enormous contributions, not just to the manufacturing industry, but also to the entire state and probably then extending out to other states because they're they're looking at Arizona at this point as sort of the golden child, right, of, of these programs really working and um, helping make positive change pretty quickly, it sounds like. What, what are you personally most excited about with that work you're doing? I'm personally excited that so many people in Arizona are finding great jobs, great new careers that are high paying and that will help take care of their, their loved ones and family. One of the efforts that I've been super pleased with has been our um, workforce training programs that are actually put inside of our Arizona prisons so that when a an, an incarcerated individual is about to be released, you know, 10 weeks before release, they can enter into this program, be trained in a specific skill, whether it's drywalling or plumbing or upholstery or something like that. And then we literally bring in the employers and have a job fair and they can hire those incarcerated persons right there. And then the day that they get out, they can go to work that very next day. It's been a beautiful thing. COVID has put a little bit of a wrinkle in it right now, but it was so fantastic, especially when employers locally couldn't find enough people. Many, many of them were willing to come into our prisons and give these people a second chance so that they could be returning citizens with great success. That is beautiful to my heart. That's a very impactful social justice initiative, I would say. Do you have any data yet on recidivism rates dropping for, for folks that are in that program? Yes, they absolutely did drop and pretty significantly. And I'm afraid I don't remember the exact percentage, but it was um, pretty dramatic. What aren't you doing? <laughs> <laughs> so much more I want to do, Lindsay, <laughs> so much more. <laughs> Um, so let's go back and talk a little bit about how Ping has really weathered the COVID storm. I know you all are fortunate to be able to say you are slammed with business right now because golf is one of those few COVID safe, for the most part, sports, right? And, um, you know, much of the country has warm enough cli climates year round that people have been able to golf throughout all of the pandemic. So can you walk us through a little bit of what initially it was like when this struck and then how it's evolved in your response and the business's results since then? Yes, I will say it was probably our, our biggest challenge to date, the pandemic and figuring out how to keep our people safe and how to preserve our people when our sales went from literally Mount Everest to Death Valley at the beginning of the pandemic because golf retailers who provide the custom fittings for our golf clubs throughout the U.S. were closed. Figuring out how to deal with the legal issues to protect the company while preserving relationships, uh, truly challenging. And our worst days by far are when we have had to let people go. It's only happened a few times over many decades because behind every person is a story and a family or loved ones too that are affected. 
Uh, I remember a most touching moment at one of our employee meetings a decade or so ago in the depth of the Great Recession when our CEO, John A. Solheim, told our team members that he felt sad that he had no bonus to give them. We give bonuses regularly to all our employees, everyone on the line, whenever the company's doing well. And one of the employees, recognizing that we had sacrificed to avoid layoffs, shouted from the back, thanks for the jobs, John. And that just meant the world to me. So you're right. Now our biggest challenge is meeting a huge spike in customer demand. Our G425 drivers and irons and other clubs are performing super well. Our ping tour players are winning. And with word of mouth sharing, plus people discovering that even in a pandemic, golf truly is that safe, naturally distanced sport you mentioned. Our, our orders now are truly through the roof. Literally every able body from our president and CEO to our accountants, engineers, and lawyers on down, including me, we are in the factory on Saturdays working alongside our production team building golf clubs. I'll be there tomorrow morning at 5.30 a.m. And truly, it is such a privilege to work alongside our production team. We know that if we can deliver now, people who will try our clubs will love them and may become ping customers for life. So there's been so many technological improvements on the line that for some stations, even a lawyer can contribute to accurately building golf clubs. <laughs> that, that should be explored as a new like marketing motto for you guys. <laughs> you can be the poster child of it. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I mean, congratulations on that success. It, it's so fascinating to hear about just all these downstream effects of the pandemic that no one would have predicted, you know, a year ago. But I'm so happy to hear that mm -hmm. you weathered the storm very well and um, you've come out even stronger on the other side. You did mention that, you know, your primary concern when, uh, you know, March of 2020 reared its ugly head, your your focus as corporate counsel for Ping was to keep everyone mm -hmm. safe. So how did that feel? I mean, that panic of the unknown and like, how do I protect these employees that we care so much about? And you as the leader of, you know, the liability at the company. What did you do? How did it feel? Tell us a little bit about that whole experience. I am very grateful to have such a wonderful team of people to help us address these issues, whether it's environmental or health and safety, patents, quality. We have a number of different teams. And we did shut down the company for several weeks at the beginning of the pandemic. We spaced out the stations further apart. We did extensive cleaning. We added temperature scanners very early on before they were common uh, so that as people are entering into the buildings, we could make sure that no one had a fever. In fact, one day our, our president, as he was walking in, they told him he was two degrees over and he's like, I feel fine. They're like, well, you're two degrees over. You can't come in today. And he, he didn't. Uh, so we have been very strategic and careful in making sure that we protect our people. So yes, a scary time definitely at the beginning and scary not knowing whether those sales would come back. But we did see that eventually, especially with growth of golf in other countries, Japan and Korea and other places where golf is very huge and especially women's golf, those orders came back much sooner. And so we started bringing people back little by little. And as we saw that they were able to stay safe with their masks and spacing and everything that we'd done, we, we, we never saw any big outbreak. We would have a couple people here or there that came down with COVID, but it didn't spread in-house in here. It was something they contracted outside and maybe one person else would get it. So I'm very pleased, knock on wood that we have been protected to date and our production team has been just marvelous in coming through. Yeah, and I'm sure there's so many employees now that finally have gotten at least the first round of their vaccine. If not, they're fully vaccinated. And, you know, you can all sigh some relief at this point. You know, we're not completely through the woods, but with so much demand and you all going in on Saturdays, I'm sure you're feeling a little bit more comfortable, a little safer given where we are. Tell me a little bit about what your day will look like tomorrow on the production floor, starting basically when the <laughs> that the roosters are out, right? Yes, yes. 5.30 a.m. I'm not sure why we start so early on Saturdays, <laughs> but I'm, I'm happy to be part of the team. 
Tomorrow, I know that I will be in kidding. It's a certain area of production. It's the very first area. I have been trained on about five of our 14 plus stations that the golf club goes through as it's being built, whether it's a driver or an iron or a hybrid or some other type of club. Uh, So kidding is an area where where we take the um, club heads and we choose the right shaft to go with them and we uh, put all those pieces together before it gets sent down the line to be built into that custom-made golf club. So I realize that it's unusual as a golf manufacturer that we custom-make every set but that is, is something that my, my grandfather championed years ago, that every person is different. You need to have a golf club set that is built for that person and they will truly play their best. So for example, I have a son who is six foot two inches tall. You would think he would need some really tall golf clubs, but he actually has super long arms. So he needs short clubs and he has really big hands. So he needs large grips and his swing is a little different. He needs something a little wider and and different on the, the loft and lie angle. So being able to custom fit each golfer, we're able to put together a set that's truly right for them. So being in the factory tomorrow, 5.30 a.m., I'll sign into my place. I'll, I'll figure out uh, where within kidding, because it's kind of a large area that I'll be working, whether it's in the, the uh, golf club heads part or in the shafts part. Um, and then I'll, I'll have a break after three hours for about uh, 15 minutes talk with the other folks there and go back for another several hours. And, you know, it it really is a bonding sort of experience. I truly grew in my respect for our production team and what they do each day and how there can be stresses in that. You don't want to be the bottleneck that the clubs back up behind. And they have been tremendous at being patient with us who are newer to the production floor and teaching us how to do that. And it's built a beautiful camaraderie. Yeah, what a, what a team effort. I think that's such a cool story. Is this something that you, you. you expect you'll have to do indefinitely? Is it uh, just a, a moment in time based on the supply and demand? Oh, no, no, no. We um, are hiring. Uh, I, I'm not sure. It's probably close to a dozen people a week. So as we get enough people in there, we will have the team trained and ready to go. I expect about another month or so. We are building our team as fast as we can, but it does take time. I love to kind of pick people's brains who are in any field of manufacturing and just hear from your perspective, you know, what is the coolest thing about manufacturing? What's coolest about manufacturing are the benefits and security it brings to our communities and our country. You'll see wherever manufacturing is thriving, suppliers want to locate close by and people find the jobs they need to support themselves and their loved ones. And because of high wages and exports, tax revenues are generated, as I mentioned, to support thriving schools and public services. Arizona was hit by the pandemic, you know, just like every other state and and country, but intentionally made itself attractive to manufacturers. And that helped us become that number one inbound state and top income uh, growth state. And I think COVID-19 taught us all some really hard-fought lessons about the importance of being able to make, for example, your own personal protective equipment, ventilators, medical tests, and other items that we need right here locally, where we're not subject to some faraway supply chain disruptions or other countries limiting access to what we can get here. In Arizona, we saw Honeywell shift gears to quickly begin making urgently needed PPE and fabric It was a fashion manufacturer. They changed to make hospital gowns. You need to have a manufacturing team, engineers, and factories in place to be able to pivot to make the essential products or national defense items needed to protect our people. And manufacturing provides that security. Kind of helps us make all that we need right here, guard our national security, and then help us help other people around the world with what we've made. I mean, truly, that's the coolest thing about it. That My goal in asking that question is like, I'm uncovering so many varied responses. 
And I'm trying to give mm-hmm. you know any listener far and wide, whether it's a, a young woman like in junior high, thinking about trade school, you know, thinking about her career, or a woman who's like career changing later in life. I'm trying to make them like just so interested in manufacturing because there's so many great reasons coming out of that question that they have no choice but to try to pursue a career in manufacturing. So that is a, a heck of a good reason for sure. Thank you. We need more women in manufacturing. And there's so many opportunities for women there that, that maybe aren't always in a lot of other places. Our, our head of manufacturing at Ping is a woman. And my grand, grandmother co-founded the company with my grandpa and, you know, really was its, for all practical purposes, the executive VP, the head of marketing, the CFO all in one, long before most women held such positions. And I just think manufacturing provides all sorts of opportunities for women. Heck yes, it does. So, <laughs> so on that note, you know, what has it been like for you as a woman in, in a manufacturing family, business world, you know, with that law lens? What is it like for you as a woman in manufacturing, Don? Oh, for me personally, absolutely wonderful. I, you know, I, I think it's because of our manufacturing operations that I have the privilege right now to chair the Arizona Chamber of Commerce and Industry. And for several years, I chaired our Arizona Manufacturers Council. Um, manufacturing doesn't distinguish. There's no need to be uh, one thing or another. It's, it's about, you know, can you, can you meet the demand? Can you uh, f- bring value in the production? And there are so many different ways to do that. The opportunities are endless, whether it's law or accounting or engineering or any number of you know marketing and customer service and other positions. Manufacturing has it all. I remember a time uh, several years ago when when a Department of Revenue issue came up where they were trying to make manufacturers say who were the real manufacturing employees as opposed to the others and. And uh, there was a a real backlash to that because we consider us all manufacturers. We're we're all working for a manufacturing company toward one end, whether we're in these different areas or not. And then that was redefined to to recognize that manufacturing employees are all of these different professions. Absolutely. Oh, that would have fired me up so much. (laughs) (laughs) You know, and that's one thing I'm so glad that our Arizona Chamber of Commerce and Industry and Arizona Manufacturers Council came in to work toward resolving because that was going to be a nightmare for manufacturers to try and and separate out who were the manufacturing employees and who were not. We were all manufacturing employees. Yeah. Rock on. This was a conversation I had in an earlier episode of the podcast, a head of HR for a mid-sized job shop. Um, You know, she was trying trying to explain that. I am a woman in manufacturing. You know, I don't operate a machine, but I impact this entire business. So, of course, this is another career path more women can think about. You know, you don't... Actually, I'm going to bring back one of your quotes, you know, it's a soft or essential skill. You know, you can have those more so those than the technical skills or the technical training and still have a wonderful and fulfilling career in manufacturing. And certainly you are a manufacturing employee. That's really cool that you were able to knock that down. I am an attorney, but I am a manufacturer, <laughs> no doubt. Yeah, exactly. So Donna, I think that's a good segue into another question I love to ask, which is, what is a commonly held misperception about the industry, manufacturing industry, that you would like to dispel? Hmm. Well, I think the old stereotypes of manufacturing being dirty, dangerous, or dull have long been proven wrong by the clean, careful, and super cool advanced manufacturers of today. I, I am surprised, Lindsay, how often I encounter people who don't know the high demand for skilled workers that exists right now. I know a lot of people sadly lost jobs due to COVID, but many advanced manufacturers were hiring as fast as they could before the pandemic. They're hiring as fast as they can during the pandemic, and they still have many more high-paying jobs to fill today. And we need more women if we're ever going to meet that demand and be able to advance as a country in technology and the um, the, the needed advancements of the future. Our problem-solving of the future depends on on manufacturing being strong now. It's a crazy statistic. You know, women are half of the workforce in this country, but comprise less than a third of all manufacturing employees today. It's crazy. 
Yeah, I, I think most women just don't know. They're not encouraged. They're not encouraged into those those STEM type of, of studies in their younger years. We have to get the word out to middle schoolers. Uh, we can't just wait until college when people have already decided. I know I decided what I wanted to do at 16. You know, a lot of times kids today decide early what they want to do and they need to know that these manufacturing careers are out there whether it's making electric vehicles or uh, semiconductor chips that go into our computers you know there's all sorts of different things that can be made today and arizona's become the the hub for semiconductor manufacturing it's been amazing to see what's happened with that and the opportunities that it brings to our our young women today so Dawn, I'm curious, you've given us a really great you know, sense of how ever since your grandfather founded the company, there's been this long history of innovation. I know what you guys have done recently, you know, what are you actually looking to do now and in the, in the next few years? Oh, great question, Lindsay, thank you. Uh, in the last decade, we've brought technology into literally every step of the design and production process including embedding interactive technology into the golf clubs themselves. So our newest drivers and irons have Arco sensors in the grips to allow any golfer who wants to, to automatically record and analyze every shot taken during the round when paired with the Arco's Caddy app. And our engineers uh, have, in addition to putting the technology into the golf clubs themselves, um, each station of our factory is custom engineered and includes scanning technologies and automated quality checks that prevent a club from continuing on in the process if there was any step along the way that wasn't completed to exacting standards and we're making plans for a whole lot of additional advanced technologies uh, for example whenever we identify an area that could be ergonomically challenging in a station we can simplify that through automation and then those stations become candidates for robotic transformation as well. Uh, we can use, in the future, collaborative robots, or we call them cobots, and the robots can work alongside an operator and are safe and easy to program, and we plan to add these to the factory, yet still keep our experienced team at the helm of building clubs. It's not to replace people, it's to assist our people and to ensure absolute precision quality. That's really exciting that there's so much, you know, left to be innovated in golf. I think as a non-golfer, my assumption is that we might have come as far as we, we would be able to go, you know, other than like the golf apps and, you know, tracking stats and performance, um, which I think is really cool, too. But there's actually a lot to be done, you're saying, in terms of like the, the club technology. There is so much additionally that can be done. And, and if there's anything our, our grandfather taught us, it's that you can always make improvements. You never, you should never settle and think that you've just achieved perfection. You can make it sound better. You can make the vibrations feel better. You can make it more accurate. There's just so much in the loft and the lie and the technology that goes into the club itself that um, can, can improve the game. And there's always a way to improve if you keep looking for it. It's like the motto of Industry 4.0. It's perfect. Yes. <laughs> yes, it's true. So Don, you mentioned that as a result of very high demand, you and many other colleagues that don't normally work on the floor are actually spending some Saturdays in production. So I'm curious, you know, what has it been like for you to be so intimately involved with the actual production of the clubs? I love it, actually. It's amazing that after, you know, so many years where I haven't worked in the factory to be in there and be able to get to know our production team is an incredible joy in itself. But there's also a certain soothing rhythm to production work. It's not very loud in there, but you'll hear the 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 clinks and the bangs and the the rhythm of the club making and it sort of has a beat to it that's really kind of um, engaging and it engages your mind and your body. Uh, on Saturday, I'll be working in, in kitting where we match the custom order by selecting the right club head that was previously precision cast. 
we clean out the inside of the hosel with an automatically spinning metal brush and vacuum any remaining tiny you know metal shavings and then match it with the customer's preferred shaft from hundreds of options and attach the ferrule that connects the hosel and the shaft and you know, it's it's really quite engaging the whole time. I find in some stations when I'm using, you know, the power tools to secure screws or install weights or different things like that, or I'm in installing the Arco sensors into the shafts, I might not be able to talk to anyone near me for a while until I get into that, that groove and that rhythm. Uh, and I just concentrate on not missing any steps. And then after you know, after some time, I'm able to maybe engage the person next to me for a moment. And after a few hours at one station, then we have a break. Uh, usually I found the supervisor brings snacks for everybody, which is just really sweet. And, you know, sit in the Arizona sunshine for a few minutes and then go back in. And then we go to a different station. So we're always moving around. And already I think I've been trained on six different stations. So it's a great opportunity to just learn lots of things and put our hands on the clubs, get to really touch and feel them. And it's amazing. Those people who are touching and feeling the clubs tend to be the ones who come up with that next iteration of what we could do to improve it and why it's so important to be manufacturing things here locally because those improvements both in the technology of the product itself and in how we make it then happen here where the people have their hands on the clubs. You make it sound really fun. That sounds (laughs) like, you know, everyone at the company should have that experience if possible. I really do. Um, We've already seen so many improvements so many different recommendations from people as to additional ways that we could improve things. When you have new eyes on it and when everyone is experiencing this in common, it's amazing the innovations that come out of that. Absolutely. So Don, you're clearly involved with so many amazing causes in addition to your daily responsibilities at Karsten and Ping. And You know, if there's anything else outside of that, you know, in your very minimal spare time, you know, that you're excited about or you're working on, um, what might that be? COVID hobby has been taking up gardening. And maybe it's the the maker in me. I kind of want to make my food too. So it's a really wonderful hobby to go in between things and just walk out in the garden and see what I'm going to pick today. If it's arugula and tomatoes or basil and and bell peppers, uh, just been a super fun hobby. And I suppose something else I just really care about keeping Arizona the fantastic place that it's been for manufacturing and for business. I think these things take tending and care. And I just want to make sure that that this will be here for the next generation after me and that we can stay in Arizona and keep building clubs and, and making products that improve people's lives. Uh, so, you know, I really want to make sure that, that, that we keep Arizona strong and kind of reflecting on what what my part in that could possibly be at some point. I'm going to draw a connection here and it's going to be cheesy. People might roll their eyes, but you just said something that was incredibly relevant to the prior mention of gardening. You said that you want Arizona manufacturing to be nurtured and, you know, supported. Might I say that for you, manufacturing in Arizona is another garden, right? Like you're constantly watering it, tending to it, uh, and it's grown before your eyes as a result of your and many other people's work and attention. So um, no, corny absolutely. correlation. Absolutely. A true statement. <laughs> and, and you do have to keep watering it and pulling out the weeds that might choke out the the growth or the um, – Voices that might say that, oh, we don't need manufacturing jobs. Those are the low jobs for some other country. Uh, it's just not true at all. These are the, the high-paying, advanced technology jobs that build our future, and we have to really guard and nurture them. Good point. Love it. So, Don, if you're open to it, I would love to start our rapid-fire questions where I just kind of hurl a quick question at you more personal, more fun than what we've been talking about. Um, so people can get to know you more as a human, not just this amazingly accomplished professional. <laughs> and uh, you'll just give me the first answer that pops into your mind. I won't ask any more questions about it. I'll just move on to the next one. Does that sound okay? 
Okay. All right. Sure. I don't know what could be more fun than talking about manufacturing. Yeah. But I'm up for it. <laughs> I, I say it's more fun because usually there's some really funny answers and some giggling that happens. But I okay. agree. I do enjoy the prior part of the podcast as well. So, okay. We will begin. Who is one famous person you wish would work in manufacturing with you? Gal Gadot. I know some people pronounce it Godot, but somehow I think Wonder Woman would fit right in with our amazing production crew that we have at Ping. And plus, she just seems like a truly, genuinely nice person. What's your favorite blog or podcast? Life at Bella Terra by Mary Crozier. She's my favorite blogger. Uh, she has a blog about make-it-yourself decor, entertaining, and gardening tips. Uh, she's amazing and inspiring. What's the last movie you saw? Uh, that one was fairly forgettable. I'm not even sure I remember the title of it, but I was like, the last movie I saw that I really loved was Ford versus Ferrari. It's a super fun manufacturing success story that kind of immerses you in the, the high-speed drama. I totally recommend seeing it on a big screen. Great movie. Isn't it? Yeah, really <laughs> great movie. Um, do you have a pet? I don't now. My husband and I have a daughter who is allergic to cats and dogs. So we settled on a, a peach-faced lovebird named Jacques, and it used to hang out on her shoulder everywhere we went. Uh, I remember one time she forgot that he was on her shoulder and got into the car with us, and none of us noticed until we started backing the car out of the garage, and he squawked and started flying around the car. But uh, a lot of fun. <laughs> That's probably the best answer I've ever received to that question. <laughs> you had a bird named Jacques. Yes. She, was, she, she, she now has a, a, a major in, in French. Um, uh, she double majored in, in English literature and French, and she's at Oxford getting a master's degree and would love to, to teach in university someday. Oh, what an impressive young woman. That's so cool. You must be very proud. I'm proud of all my children. They really are yeah. all incredible. And, and you know what? Can I just say that's one of those great things that manufacturing provided I pulled back to part-time when my children were little and my second one was born and had breathing issues. And to be able to have kept my toe in law while I was, you know, holding him and working from home and trying to make this all work was just such a great privilege. And I've never regretted the time I spent investing in my children. And I love now that they're all off in their right places for them. And I get to still do this work that I love. That's a fabulous takeaway for anyone who's listening who um, maybe is considering a career in manufacturing or, you know, already in manufacturing, maybe don't have kids yet or thinking about a family. Nice to hear that. Really nice. A few more rapid fire questions. Um, what's the last vacation you took? Like many people, I'm sure we skipped the usual vacation because of COVID this year, but I did attend the Sony Open in Hawaii to meet with some of our ping accounts and players. Usually our CEO and others attend that tournament, but since some were reticent to travel, I was fortunate enough to go. I got a negative COVID test before leaving, another one there the day before playing in the Pro-Am. I got to play with Joaquin Neiman, who was a total delight. And I took another COVID test after I returned home before integrating back into the house with my husband and kids. So technically, it was a work trip rather than vacation, but oh my goodness, it felt like vacation to me. And, and I will just say, too, really eye-opening to see the homeless situation and the plight of Hawaii that had become so dependent on tourism and had lost a huge percentage of its exports in recent years. I think Hawaii is now realizing how much they need to diversify their economy and encourage manufacturing. Yeah. Wow. Great point to make. And maybe they're looking to you for some of the tips on how they can do that. I did speak with their uh, yeah, of course director <laughs> while I was there. I was just so surprised to see that they had lost so many exports. And I went and visited a pineapple factory and some other things. Um, I just i i love i i love that state too. I'd love to see them grow their manufacturing more. It would really really help them. And I did visit another manufacturing friend of mine there who makes. Uh, coastal windows. They make uh, hurricane-grade windows right there in Hawaii. It's a wonderful, wonderful company, and I, I hope that more manufacturing can thrive there. Yeah, yeah. Oh, amazing. What's your favorite food? Um, I would say I love Thai food, especially red and green coconut curries. Uh, it's moderately healthy, but kind of feels like a splurge. 
I had Penang curry yesterday, so yay! That's one of the best. <laughs> Can definitely relate. If you ever find yourself in Boston, you need to check out this place. Actually, it's right around the corner from our office. It's called Kala Thai Cookery, um, and it's right near like a, the historic area of the old meeting house and um, really beautiful area of Boston. It is the best Thai food. Oh, you must send me that. I would absolutely I will. Love to do that. I will. I will. Absolutely. Okay. Final rapid fire question. And it's probably the least rapid fire, but probably my favorite question. What is the number one reason more women should work in manufacturing? I, I'd have to say there's just more than one reason. It's potential for advancement. It's high wages. Average manufacturing wages are nearly double average wages in other non-farm businesses in the U.S., and fulfilling a greater purpose of making sure people can obtain what they need locally and be a blessing to the world. I mean, I guess that's really what it comes down to. Simple and beautifully stated. Thank you, Lindsay. I love it. I love it. Well, Don, I just want to say I think you are an impressive woman of of so much purpose and and um, value. And I love learning about your career and uh, all the work you do outside of your your daily, you know, nine to five or five thirty to to three o'clock, <laughs> whatever it might be. Um, so I'm I'm guessing we'll have a lot of great feedback for this episode, and folks might want to actually get in touch with you. So if you'd be open to any type of networking. Um, what is the best way for a listener to reach out to you? Oh, sure. Um, my email is Dawn G, D-A-W-N-G, at Karsten, K-A-R-S-T-E-N dot com. And Lindsay, can I just say, I am so grateful that you are doing this, that you are highlighting the importance of women in manufacturing in America. You are doing a great service, and I hope that this podcast becomes everyone's favorite podcast. Oh, thank you so much. That means a lot to me. It's been honestly so much fun. And I mean, I'm meeting people like you along the way. And it's just like this lovely way to feel like I'm connecting with people, even though it's through a screen. (laughs) (laughs) You know, um, in the absence of being able to do this type of networking in person, it's been such a a wonderful way for me to um, meet more incredible women. So thank you for your time today, Dawn. It was a pleasure. And I'm so grateful for all of your insight, your your stories and uh, your advice to people. So I hope you have a great rest of your day. And thank you again for joining the Women of American Manufacturing podcast. Thank you, Lindsay. Best to you. Take care. Thanks. You too. The Women of American Manufacturing podcast is brought to you by Paperless Parts. Paperless Parts empowers job shop and contract manufacturers to modernize and grow using the company's secure ITAR compliant cloud-based estimating platform. The software streamlines manufacturers' existing workflows by combining business process automation tools and a proprietary geometric pricing engine to power configurable formulas that drive estimating consistency and accuracy. The platform integrates with ERP systems to level up front office business operations and customer communication and enables more efficient responses to RFQs for a variety of manufacturing processes, including sheet metal fabrication, CNC machining, and additive manufacturing. Over 1 million files have been uploaded and analyzed through the platform to support the estimating process for manufacturers providing components and assemblies for the aerospace and defense, medical, semiconductors, and industrial sectors. Privately funded by manufacturing industry experts, Paperless Parts was founded in 2017 and is headquartered in Boston. You can learn more at www.paperlessparts.com.